0: Okay, yeah, so um, this week we'll talk about uh, the role of a developer advocate, and not just a usual developer advocate, but a developer advocate in data science. And we have a special guest today, L O'Brien. L is a data scientist at Iterative, uh, which is a company behind DVC and CML, and if you don't know what these three-letter abbreviations mean, DVC is Data Version Control, and CML is Continuous Machine Learning. And I've been following Elle for, uh, for a while on Twitter, and recently we got connected on LinkedIn. And when I was uh, looking through, through her profile, I noticed um, that, that one of the line was um, developer advocacy and outreach available for speaking engagements. It wasn't just the only line there, but it got my attention because uh, this is something I've been um, curious about, this role, what it means, what they do. And I wanted to talk to somebody about that. And I decided to reach out to Elle, invite her to our chat and talk more about this. Welcome, Elle. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to, to have a chat with you.
1: Yes, thanks so much for having me. This is, this is exciting.
0: <laughs> um, before we go into our main topic of developer advocacy, uh, maybe um, you can tell us a bit about your, your background. Um, what have you done so far? And how you, did you get into data science?
1: Sure. Um, it was all kind of indirect. I'm an ex-academic researcher, um, like many people that get into data science. Um, so I have worked for for the last, for about a decade, I worked in various areas of neuroscience research. Um, I was a math major in college. And so I was doing computational models um, of you know, biological systems. Um, and I did that as an undergraduate for a few years in research there. I did a master's degree at the university of Washington, and then I did a PhD and I kind of got all over. I I worked in a lot of different labs and, um, a lot of, a lot of different systems we were modeling, but always using the same kind of core tools of making computational models. Um, and by the end of that time I could see that there was a really, there was a kind of growing, I don't know, there was something I really didn't want to miss in machine learning and data science. Um, And part of it is that there's a lot of methods that get used there, like non-parametric statistics um, and the approach of prediction um, rather than inferential statistics. And I really wanted to get deeper into that. And at the same time, I was also feeling a bit troubled by the way that in all the like so many labs I've worked in, you know, code and data sharing and collaboration and management is still really difficult and it's kind of like every lab has their own way of doing it, and it's a considerable burden. And, you know, it's like you have a bunch of scientists, and none of us are really trained for how to manage data that we have to keep for years and years or share with the collaborator or completely reproduce our code for somebody else. Um, and so I feel like there, there definitely has to be, you know, a systemic change in the tools that we give scientists. Um, and so I wanted to go into, you know, something addressing that problem. And that's why when I was done with my PhD, um, not this past November, but the one before that, I, I, joined, I joined Iterative, um, I wanted to work on data version control. Um, and so I, I, that was kind of it, you know, all of my data science proper is kind of self-taught the way that so many data scientists are, you know, you follow mm-hmm. tutorials, you learn. Um, and I, and I really like getting to, you know, work in the MLOps space now. Um, although I am in March, so just in a few weeks, going to be joining University of Michigan as a full-time lecturer and research investigator in the School of Information. And so I'm gonna be doing, um, you know, leading some classes and developing curriculum for the Applied Data Science master's program. So I'm leaning even harder into, you know, how can we teach this effectively and at scale?
0: So you mentioned, so one thing you mentioned, you said uh, that you got another PhD, not the one you got in November. Does it mean you have two?
1: Oh, no, I only have one PhD. (laughs) Okay. No, I was just trying to think of dates, I think, then. But um, yes, I only have one PhD. Okay.
0: And so you'll be teaching, um, among other things, the, the tools, like how to make research reprodu- reproducible, right? Or...
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be, you know, some of it is going to be teaching statistics. Some is going to be supervising, um, you know, students as they, you know, are trying to do end-to-end data science projects. So a lot of these people, you know, in an applied data science program, a lot of them want to go on to be data scientists and not academic researchers. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm gonna do, you know, I think maybe pursuing tools for academic researchers is maybe a research area that I like. And then my day-to-day teaching will probably be very applied, you know, how do we get junior data scientists, data scientists that are just about to go to the workforce in a few months. Um, you know, at a pretty high level, you know, of awareness of the issues, the knowledge of the tools in the space, you know, able to make some educated choices about how to manage their data science projects.
0: Yeah, that's something that universities from what I see are missing right now. This end-to-end uh, overview of uh, of data science projects. So this, yeah. this, uh, this is really great. And this is something that. Yeah, change. I'm
1: so excited to do it, but it's, it's like making a data science curriculum, it's like a lot of the work is still to be done. Like we have to lay out what is a data science curriculum and what has to be there. Um, and I suspect a lot of universities are going to be doing this in the next couple of years um, because mm-hmm. of it's like you said, I mean, and like it was in my experience, most of data science, I just learned it by Googling things
0: uh, when I talked to you on Twitter and asked you about this, uh, so when I reached out to you saying, hey, like, I want to talk to somebody about this role of developer advocacy, and uh, you said, you replied to me that this is such an interesting job and that you had no idea uh, that this job existed until you, you got it. So can you tell us this story a bit uh, in more details? How did it happen?
1: Yeah, um, so I, I really enjoyed, you know, throughout my PhD, when I wanted to get to work on data science, I would often just make myself like weekend projects. Um, and so for one of them, I had taken StyleGAN, which is a big, beautiful GAN that was released by NVIDIA with all the code and the trained model too. Um, and I, I trained it on a bunch of frames from videos of myself and different outfits I had in my closet. Um, and then I, I made, you know, after it was trained, I just moved around, you know, the latent space and I patched it together and I made a video that was just like, you know, morphing on my face with different accessories around it. And I posted it on Twitter just cause I was like, look at this cool thing I made. And it did, uh, it did low key viral. It got like a thousand something likes, which was pretty good for my Twitter at the time. And, uh, you know, then a bunch of people noticed it. And um, oh, I think we have one more troll here, I think. Okay, cool. Um, So um, I had posted this thing on Twitter and um, I got just a, a message. Actually, no, it was after that. I just said, hey, and by the way, I'm looking for jobs. I figured since I was one month away from graduating, did not have a job. And I had this thing on Twitter that was doing well. I just made a tweet, by the way. Consider hiring me, and um, then Dimitri, who's the CEO at Iterative, saw it, and he said, "Hey, we're looking for somebody for DevRel." And I guess the audition that I had done was I made a piece of content involving machine learning that people, you know, wanted to wanted to see. Um, So that that started it. So I learned from him that there are in fact teams that make things that are looking for people who will take the tools they make, make something cool with them to show other people, um, and just getting attention on the internet is a viable career
0: path. Okay, so basically you uh, played with a tool, you put it on Twitter, it went viral, and then you mentioned, okay, I'm looking for a job, and boom, you got it, right? Yes, exactly. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a nice uh, nice story. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, your job is uh, not just at DevRel, right? So you're also doing uh, uh, data science things. You're also involved in uh, creating these tools, right? So how, how does your day look like? What do you do uh, at iterative?
1: There's a lot of different stuff. Um, so I also work on the product team for continuous machine learning or CML. So I help, you know, kind of organize the launch for that, you know, making the website, all of our examples, our tutorials. So a lot of the work I also do is, you know, in our docs for that project, um, you know, and, and. Trying to understand user feedback on it. Um, so, making some new features. Um, I'm very proud. I, I added a, a PR for support for Bitbucket Cloud um, recently to that. So, um, you know, so I do a little bit of development, but I'm, I'm really learning software development. You know, I developed software for years as an academic, but it is just not the same as doing development for an open source project. So, I am. Kind of like, I treat this almost as an apprenticeship that I get to learn that um, as I go. Um, And yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of of conferences that I go to. Um, So I do a lot of speaking gigs. I do videos. Um, I try to shoot a video at least every few weeks. Um, You know, now I kind of have like a list of things that some users want and trying to, you know, trying to hit those. Um, What else do I do? Um, quite a lot. Right now we're hiring more developer advocates. So right now I am a team of one. So, you know, we're growing. And also because I'm going to be reducing my, my time as I, you know, am at a university. Um, so we're working on hiring. So the hiring process takes quite a bit. Um, I do a lot of blog post writing. Um, another thing that takes time that, you know, like, you don't really see or expect is, you know, you have to create code examples for everything. So when we have a new, you know, a new tool or a feature that I want to highlight, you know, it often takes a couple days to create, you know, a good technical use case. And so it's like, you know, you're sitting there, you're coding, you're getting a data set. Um, You know, it's kind of like a mini, mini data science project. And then at the end, you have to make sure it's all completely reproducible, readable. It's like turning in a, a report um, so those those are kind of fun, um, but that's some like you know labor that I didn't expect, but you know it's it's part of it.
0: So you're doing a lot of blog posts, a lot of speaking videos, and videos uh, I see that you post constantly on YouTube channel. Then creating these um, reproducible code snippets—that's a lot of things. How do you decide which to work on next? Like uh, and also assuming that uh, uh, just you said it just, you're just a team of one, right? And there are yeah. so many things to do. Like, how do you decide what should be the next most important thing?
1: It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. You know, what I often do is I kind of have a, a schedule in mind of when are we planning to release this? And I know when we have a release of something, then i'm probably gonna have to really pitch in on that maybe on you know adding some area of docs perhaps you know something like that um and working on all the messaging around the release and blogs for that so those are like big landmarks in my time like i know i've got to work on a release then and in between those then i get a bit more freedom to you know we're going to make a video about a topic that is kind of timeless doesn't matter i could release this now or next year and it would be you know still interesting um but it, it is quite hard to keep them all going, you know, and so sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm actually debating for the first time ever, like maybe I need to put a limit on how many talks I accept mm-hmm. because of, you know, it, it does take away from the time that you can be writing. Um, and they're all important activities. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, It's really not obvious or easy. A lot of it is just like, it's an experiment on the run. And I just feel, I feel like we're due for a blog now. I feel like we're due for a video.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's more like a feeling and plus, um, like, you know, that there is a certain release. So you know that you need to prepare for this release to prepare some supporting material, good documentations, good use cases. And then uh, we also need to stick around like on uh, Hacker News or Reddit or, do things like that, like when you release something, then you publish an article, and then, you know, I, I, I think yeah. your post ended up on Hacker News a couple of times, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we've had that a few times. And this is another thing I didn't expect, but when you put something on Hacker News or Reddit, you know, whether you posted it or it's just trending there, you have to be there. It actually <laughs> is like a whole day event when something goes big on social. Um, <laughs> which I did not expect to be a thing that takes up time. Like if I post a little thing on social, like, Hey, we have a newsletter out. Like, I don't have to monitor that, but when it's like, mm-hmm. we have a release, it's like the next eight hours is mm-hmm. like, I'm on three different social networks, like tabbing back and forth going, okay, answer any questions, answer, any, que-, you know, respond. Um, so it's, it's actually a pretty big production.
0: <laughs> and in Hacker News also like, because, uh, uh, it's anonymous many people like can just register there and put all kind of things there like write all kind of things there like sometimes the level of toxicity there in this community is uh, pretty high i would say yes uh, do you, how do you deal with that as well like it's probably not easy
1: it's not actually that is another thing i didn't expect is that you really have to pick and choose what internet communities you can be on and i find Hacker news and our machine learning are both like, there is a high level of toxicity and it's usually not, not long. If I'm just browsing them before I find something that I'm like, oh, I really wish I hadn't read this today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this does not make me feel great. Um, and I thought that I would like over time get a thicker skin for them. And I didn't like, it actually never gets easier. I find for that. So I find like, I dig in harder on Twitter because I like Twitter better, you know, the data science community there. Um, and for Hacker News, I kind of go as needed. I know it would be better if I was like a regular participant and got more, you know, internet points. Um, but I, I, I don't do that too much. Um, and Reddit machine learning, I do, I answer a couple questions like every month to kind of keep mm-hmm. the account current. But other than that, I don't really... Hang out there, which is a little bit weird when you're advocating in communities that you're not really a part of. Um, but luckily, we do have, you know, I'm pretty well embedded on Twitter, and you know, I have a couple of data science slacks, and you have a data science slacks, and those are kind of more comfortable, safe spaces. I feel mm-hmm. like to, you know, share something, get feedback, um, and so I definitely like, you know, I take advantage of those too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I I was. Since I was pretty curious about this role, so what I decided to do is just take a random job description of a developer advocate for a company and see uh, what it says. And um, I found this uh, it was just I found it in some Slack. And it was saying that uh, in responsibilities, so the first point was um, you need to build an open source community for the company from scratch, not for the company, but for the product they have. So that was one thing. So building an open source community. Then the second point was to drive awareness of this product by speaking at three to six industry events, quarterly, writing blog posts, uh, tutorials, creating videos, building examples of using um, this product for demonstration purposes and building excitement around uh, this product. And then there was a third product, uh, third point, sorry be the voice of the community in our development process. Um, Like, is this a a representative description of a a, a position or it's maybe something like more a full stack? What what do you think?
1: It is quite representative. Um, And I would say that it's because I think companies still have a lot of work to do, learning how to hire DevRel and what DevRel should do like, this is probably pretty close to what I expected I would be able to do um, as one DevRel. And I very quickly realized that this is not actually that realistic if you want to do a good job on all three of those. And part of that is that I think that people tend to believe especially people that like don't do DevRel or don't have experience in it. So like, I think a lot of like, a lot of, you know, technical founders probably believe that community building is the same as content creation and presentation and they're just completely different skill sets like and i've i've worked with um you know i've, I've kind of had a lot of discussions with other dev rels that have helped me kind of appreciate the distinction um which is not appreciated by all or even most companies that are hiring i think but that like creating building a community is something that you know it's, it requires a great deal of face-to-face, not face-to-face, but like, you know, interaction, like real-time interaction. Like you actually have to be in the Slack or in the subreddit, you know, or Twitter, you have to be there. You have to be responding to people constantly, having conversations, facilitating bigger discussions. um, And you have to do a lot of moderation. You know, you have to, you really have to be a, a leader of, you know, a lot of interactions. And, But on the other hand, creating content and videos and demonstrations requires a great deal of independent solo and focused time. Like you cannot really do a good job, you know unless you're gonna just switch them up constantly like, which I do, but it's very, very hectic. Um, and I don't think it's sustainable in the long-term and that's part of why we're growing our DevRel. So I guess if I could say one thing to people that want to hire DevRel, it's you know consider separating people who are really strong content creators from people who are community managers because of managing community, reaching out to people and keeping them engaged is like a kind of engineering almost. It's like a social engineering of how do I create the right conditions for cool things to happen and people will wanna show up. And content creation is, it's just a much more like almost solo, like focused activity. And those are, I'm not sure why those got put on the same, like, oh, obviously the same person would do these other than maybe they're just, you know, activities that aren't engineering. Mm
0: -hmm. And there is also this third point, uh, like be the voice of the community. Is this uh, something that uh, developer advocates do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try. Well, so the idea, I think, is that, you know, if you hang around the community a lot, you will pick up on what issues people are having, what bugs they have, what feature requests, what what are the big, like, blocks for them, you know, in getting engaged with what you make. Because, right, you want it to be so easy that, you know, to get started. And, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly if you're around, like, the support channel, perhaps, you know, um, like we have a discord where people come ask questions and you learn pretty quickly, like, okay, what are the common stumbling blocks that people are facing? And what are the things that people ask for over and over again, that we would be really silly to miss those signals. Um, And to some extent, you know, I can do that. But on the other hand, it's, it's the same issue of, if I'm in this, you know, support channel, then I'm not, on Twitter or I'm not giving a talk or I'm not creating content. Um, and also building a community is different from answering technical questions from users. So it's actually, it's something I can do, but I feel like to really excel at it, I might need to be more full-time embedded, you know in support or in a you know with the users more of the time um with that said um my team is very you know software engineer heavy and i might be the only one who has like i don't know if this is true but there's not a lot of people who have experience doing like data science. And I would also include my academic research in this where we have data sets, we're, you know, modeling it, analyzing it, and we want to have like a reproducible pipeline, you know, that generates our results. And since I do have that experience and my technical background is probably like a lot of data scientists, I can try out our tools, you know, and be like a beta tester and, you know, give pretty, pretty incisive feedback, I think, about, you know, what part of this would just not be intuitive you know, for, for a typical data scientist with our highly variable backgrounds.
0: Okay. Makes sense. So basically uh, it's more like a full stack, uh, right? Like in full stack data science, we have somebody uh, who can do talking to stakeholders, then build data pipelines, then uh, train a model, then roll the model out to production. And then uh, I don't know, support this model. So it's in a way like it's five different people like when we talk about a full stack data scientist in and here it's the same right so you have like a community manager you have a, a I don't know how you call it like con not content manager but somebody who who, who is creating content who's producing content right and then uh, like the third point would be um, uh, I don't know like uh, not customer support but in a, in a way something similar right
1: yeah um, you can analyze a lot of signals coming out of your community, you know, and we don't even make use of a lot of, you know, there's so much information you can get from your community in so many ways, metrics and interactions. You could easily have a full-time job doing that.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, I often come across uh, this. uh, So there is a developer advocate, and then there is a role also called uh, DevRel. Like, are they similar? Are they the same? Uh, are they different? I what think, you think
1: the same. That? I am not completely sure, and I I hope if I'm wrong, somebody will come and go, "Actually, it's this." But <laughs> I think they're the same.
0: And evangelists—is uh, it also something in that uh, in that area?
1: I think so. Yeah, I I feel like i would feel pretty sim you know like oh i have a lot in common with you if i met somebody who was an evangelist i would feel like it's it's quite similar
0: yeah to, to me it seems like evangelists they more uh they're more often on the stage uh you know giving talks and then uh you know evangel evangelizing is it the word like yes. basically yes, talking about uh about the product and then getting people excited uh. so this is actually one w- one of the points in this, uh, in this uh, job description was building excitement around uh, the product. So probably this is what uh, an, ev- an evangelist would do, right? Like getting people excited about, uh, uh, about things.
1: Yes, it's interesting. In the U.S., um, the word evangelist is mostly used with religious, like preachers. So mm-hmm. I think of somebody who'd be like on TV on Sunday morning, you know, preaching and being like, "Call in for your free Bible today." So and it gets people extremely excited. And you know, I, I think of it like that, <laughs> but for but for something in tech.
0: <laughs> so call today for your free AWS credits, right? Or something. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. Actually, um, I the, the reason I'm interested in this uh, in this uh, role is um, some time ago somebody from AWS reached out to me saying, "Hey, we have this uh, position called Developer Advocate," and then I never actually thought about this position at all. Mm. But then I thought, okay, like um, the description looks kind of similar to what I'm doing, uh, like you know. Giving talks and then uh, uh, you know producing content and I said, okay this uh, this could be interesting um, like an interesting an interesting position um, and then I also I asked this uh, I talked to some people and uh, many of them uh, said like mentioned things like you did uh, like uh, that the people in the AWS they have to go to Reddit Hacker News uh, and uh, see all this, uh toxicity and deal with that especially like there's a certain amount of hatred towards AWS in these communities for some reasons I don't know. Um, So it's not that glorious right it's not just uh, um, from what I understood so some people think it's like a springboard to being famous right like you're on the stage you're talking all the time Uh, but also there there, there are downsides. Um, That's
1: really true. It's it's really true. And I did not plan for that. I think I always thought internet points good. And then when it was my job, I have to say like, there's, it's really scary when something is trending or going big because of, there's just a tremendous amount of online abuse. And, you know, it, it just, it happens quite a lot. And so I actually experience like a great deal of fear sometimes when things are going big or, you know, sometimes it's kind of panicky and it's not really that fun. And like you said, I mean, there are, I know Hacker News is like the place to be, but it's not a place I, I really feel great reading. I don't feel better, you know, and sometimes I'll come across stuff that's quite extreme on it and I'm really troubled by. Um, and it's really hard to, you know, feel like every day I'm going to show up and try to evangelize there when I, I don't even want to be there. Um, and so those, those things are really, really difficult. And like you said, they're not glorious
0: and how to deal with that? Let's say somebody is really excited about this uh, uh, position, but uh, this role, but there are these downsides. So how, like, do you have any recommendations to people, like how to deal with this uh, online abuse on the internet?
1: I mean, I I don't, I mean, part of it is just like, because of I don't know that many DevRels yet. Like I'm still kind of growing into the community a bit. You know, I feel like there's got to be some solidarity and experience in that, you know, and people supporting one another. Part of it is that I think platforms have to, you know, get better at moderating. And, you know, I, I feel like it is really easy to get harassed on even, you know, places that have a nicer community like Twitter where, you know, everybody has their face and their name most of the time, it's very easy to get harassed. And I've seen it happen to a lot of people in machine learning, you know, DevRel or not, when you have a big opinion, people will come for you. And I think that, you know, if you are underrepresented in some way, like if you're a woman or, you know, you you are not white, I feel like they can come for you even harder. Um, And so that can be pretty tough like on some forums, I'm anonymous, like my hacker news, I make it pretty not traceable to, you know, who I am, but then sometimes you can't avoid it, you know? Um, So, you know, if you're posting like, I made this and there's only three people on this project, you know, (laughs) I mean, they they can figure it out. But I also just make sure I have like, I try to make a safe online presence. Like I try to make it, I check pretty regularly, like, okay, if somebody were to try to harass me or dox me, what could they find? And I try to keep that pretty minimal. So sometimes I'll like make sure that, you know, if I see an embarrassing picture of me somewhere that's from like 2009, I will like write that write that website and be like, would you please take down this picture of me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, things like that. But I, I just, I feel like there has to be some solidarity, you know, for that being a rough experience for anybody, DevRel professionally or not, who makes things for the internet. Um, and so commiserating with people helps a bit. Um, and it has to be known that it's a job hazard. Like, I feel like, you know, if I were supervising on somebody with this, and they said, I really need a break from Hacker News for a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. I would grant that because Mm -hmm. I would, I think that's valid because you can't burn out, you know, and I'd even say if you're not okay posting here, I mean, maybe we got to find other avenues. But I know that for early stage startups, I mean, it's really, it is a material benefit being on Mm -hmm. the front page of Hacker News. It does change things for you. So it's, it's like I recognize the business value of it, and I will still do it because if I'm I'm all in on my startup, you know. But it's, you know, I just made but, a piece, I guess, there that like, okay, I'm doing this for what it takes, <laughs>
0: you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, but there are definitely advantages of this role, right? And uh, do you think it is a springboard to being famous, or uh, or not really?
1: I mean. I, maybe a low-key kind of fame. Um, yeah,
0: like, uh, you know, in the community, not like uh, on national TV or anything. Right. Like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, I feel like it's really interesting that, like, as I've done this job, like, I've done, I get a lot more followers, I get a lot more talk invitations, and I love that. But then, like, my family has no idea what that means, you know? It's not, mm-hmm. like, to the people that I'm, I'm close with that they sense anything different other than that, I'm invited to a lot more talks. Mm -hmm. Um, But getting invited to talks is really rewarding. And like, you get to be on panels with amazing people. And the more talks you're in, like the more you meet people and you hear from people, you know, like perspectives that you would never have heard before. And so the benefit, I mean, other than the risk of burnout, that part is so cool. Um, You know, it's, it is cool. But at the same time, having a lot of followers gets scary because of the more followers you get, the more you're worried about disappointing them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like I post less risky or adventurous things than I might if I was had like a hundred Twitter followers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, you have some responsibility, right? And it it also can turn bad uh, because of the things we just talked about, uh, and uh, online abuse and all that, right?
1: Right. Like they're actually here for your brand. Like you know, you, when you are a DevRel, what you're monetizing is your brand. And for some people, that's very close to their personal life. But like, for me, it's not like, I don't, you know, want to tweet a lot about my, my personal life. Um, You know, so they really are here for a certain brand of things. And so, you know, it's kind of a personal choice about how much do you want to reveal about yourself. Um, But in a sense, it means like, yeah, it's, it's, it's me, but, it's also not me. It's 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 cultivated and it's intentional. And it's like you know, I I do edit. You know, it's 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 all very intentional. And I think that if if you're a Devrel and you want to have like you know sustainability, you know, you have to be careful about like what kind of things do you want to share regularly.
0: Yeah, and um, for somebody who wants to become a Devrel, um, so what kind of skills they need to develop?
1: So, I mean, the big one, it's, it's both the technical work and the communication. Like you have to be credible, you know, as somebody who knows tech, but I don't think it's important that, you know, you know, that you start working at a team or a company knowing everything about their, their product. I feel like if you know how to learn, like, I feel like the biggest skill I got from my years and years of academic research was like, okay, I can jump into a new lab or a new project. And I don't know anything in their stack, but I can learn it pretty quickly. Um, And so I'm not like an expert in any of these, but I can get started in a couple minutes. And I just like, I know how to be a beginner. And I feel like that, you know, anything new that comes across the desk, like I'm not afraid to try, I'm not afraid to ask stupid questions and, you know, figure it out. And, you know, the kind of experience that you get, not necessarily knowing, like, I don't know everything in the MLOps world. Like there are lots of tools in this space that I've never tried. And I'm pretty comfortable saying, yeah, I don't know how that works. I don't know what it is. Um, But you have to have some credibility, you know, about your own knowledge of the space that, you know, people will trust you as, as an expert. So someone that should have influence. Um, and there's lots of ways to get that. Um, you know, there are lots of different ways to do it. Um, and, and on the other hand, I mean, you just, you have to be clear. Um, a lot of people who write, you know, I don't know. I think the biggest difference between experienced technical communicators and not experienced technical communicators is, you know, after a while, you learn what details to cut so that people really just focus on what's important. Um, And it's, you know, you just sometimes you have to not be afraid to be simple and plain in your language. um, Because of that's getting people to understand is much more important than showing everything you know. Um, And so you know, the communication has to be there. So it's, it's a combination of like, can you at least can you look like, you know, something about what you're doing and can you be clear to people who are really coming from a lot of different, very different backgrounds? You know, can you try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody new and say things, how, how they need to hear it?
0: Okay. So basically being able to learn and being able to teach are two key skills, right?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, um, how important is to have at, uh, like a technical background? So for example, uh, you uh, uh, like the, the videos you do, they are about a technical tool, right? So you need to know all these things uh, at a good level, right? So you need to also to be able to answer questions. So not just a beginner, but also especially about your own product, but uh, how this product can work with some other things. So you need to have this technical background, right? uh, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and if somebody without the technical background wants to start, uh, uh to be a DevRel, um, would it be a problem for them? Or, or what do you think? Like how important is it is to have that?
1: I think it is not important to have a formal technical background. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are a lot of ways to learn, you know, the things that I would want to see would be blogs about, you know, like start with a blog about something that you're teaching yourself, like teach yourself something and it can be, you know, something that's kind of basic and then you can write a blog about it and how you learned it. And, you know, what did you do? Like make a little tutorial for somebody else. And it kind of serves as like a note for yourself and a bit of a lesson. Cause when you try to teach someone, you learn it even better. Um, you know, it, it really can be, you know, fairly simple stuff that you start with. Um, I think that that kind of technical skills, I really, really think it can be gained, and I know people that have transitioned into data science, you know, jobs, DevRel, and not that, you know, their background is like I have a master's in marine biology or you know something that's kind of like maybe tech adjacent. I also know people that like, gosh, I mean, I work with a guy who, um, not at not at Iterative, but um, at uh, what's it called, um at Michigan. He has like a history PhD and he taught himself, you know, software development and data science Mm -hmm. skills. And now he's one of the instructors. Um, So I I think there is a lot of room for people who are coming in from a non-technical background. And in fact, it can be an asset in a way that you really do get the experience of being a beginner and you can learn like, Mm -hmm. what was it like? Like when I was a beginner at this, what parts of this were really confusing for me? And then you take note of that and then you know that, you know, you take that with you. Um, And that, I think for me, like all the times I didn't know is actually the most informative for this job. Mm
0: -hmm. So basically like if somebody who is not super technical, who doesn't work as a software engineer right now, one way of uh, of getting this position of uh, becoming a developer advocate would be learning in public right so you just uh, learn something uh, put it to put it online uh write an article about this and this is how you do this right so you start communicating about your learning process then people notice you and then uh maybe your tweet goes viral and then you mention that uh, you know by the way i'm looking for a job and this is <laughs> this is a good recipe of uh, getting a job in in, the, in as a developer advocate.
1: Yeah, it's definitely what I recommend to people is start blogging, you know, in a platform that you like. Medium is a good one. There's Towards Data Science, you know, is a really good place for, you know, there's a lot of beginner ones there. Um yeah, post on Twitter, if you're in the R community, I really recommend like R bloggers. You can also go like, you know, language specific sites and aggregators, um, but just start just start making things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, makes sense. But usually uh, you talk to, to other developer advocates, DevRels, what kind of backgrounds do, do they have? What kind of background did they have before becoming a DevRel? Is there some pattern that you saw like, do, are they usually, uh, no. Like, were they in the past software engineers or it's really, there is no pattern?
1: In my experience, they tend to be, and th- this is not all by far, but I noticed that there's a lot of people that are kind of creative, like working on a lot of different things, like learning things. Um, there's kind of a, I don't know, there's often a little bit of silliness too. You know, like a lot of us really like, I think, you know, having a lighthearted tone and we like making things that are gonna make people laugh. I think a lot of the best DevRels are people that like, I don't know, maybe would have been comedians or something, you know, mm-hmm. in, in another life. <laughs> but it's, it's you don't have to be funny to be a DevRel, but I do okay. notice a lot of my favorites, you know, they're really, they're funny people. But other than that, I mean, I really, I do think one of the cool things about data science in general, you know, DevRel or not, is that there's just a lot of different backgrounds here.
0: Yeah, being funny is probably one of the ways of building connection with the audience. And this is what you need to do as a DevRel, right? To build this connection so people can relate to what you're saying, to listen to your stories and actually go and want to try the product you're, um, you're advocating for. Yeah, so this is probably. Uh, This is the pattern you're seeing, that uh, these people are relatable and easy to connect. Okay, so, and the the background doesn't really matter in this case, right? The the person can be a software engineer in the past or uh, somebody from marketing or um, somebody with background in history, right? Um, But uh, let's say I, I, this role sounds interesting. So like, I want to become famous, talk to, uh, you know, go to conferences, talk to uh, people, um, be on the stage in the spotlight, but how to understand that this is indeed for me, um, like, uh, because it does sound amazing, except for the parts uh, that uh, we talked about. Uh, um, let's say, I I think it might be for me, but I don't want to quit my job right now and uh, go ahead and try just to find out two months after that that it's not for me. Is there a way to check if I would enjoy this kind of work or not?
1: I mean, to some extent, yes, if you a lot of people who, you know, are full-time developers or data scientists, they maintain blogs and they maintain Twitter presences um, and I feel like that is very close to what it's like, but at the same time it's kind of like you know, it's like anytime you take something that was your hobby and you turn it into your full-time job, it's just completely different. It's like people on Instagram who are like, I'm quitting my job to be a full-time baker and post videos on Instagram. And then they go, oh man, I didn't expect there to be so much like growth hacking and all these things I do just to try to get content, you know, get people to look. And I didn't really know about that, you know, and in that way, I think it's actually harder for me than I expected. But maybe if you're somebody who's really strategic, and enjoys being strategic about your content, that could be a good signal. Um, if you find, you know, that you want to be blogging all the time, that is a good sign. Um, you know, or if you're into the community management side, like if you really wanna be leading a community and interacting with people all day, like, you know, if you just wanna hang out on your Discord server, you know, much more than you wanna code, that that could be a good sign. Um, but it's kind, of, it's kind of like, it's just, it's a little hard, I think, until you're really putting in a lot of hours over a long time. Because for me, I mean, it's like, just that all these things take up more time than I ever expected um, is maybe, the biggest downside, like it's it's definitely a job I would still recommend to a lot of people, um, but to be totally honest about it, I mean, it is hard to not have time for, no, or not as much time for like research and development um, because of you are spending so much on content and growing your audience.
0: So this was one of the, you mentioned that people don't consider that it will involve a lot of growth hiking and things like that, but it actually does involve uh these things right it can yeah do you have any tips like for growth hacking none
1: i am (laughs) not a good growth hacker um i after a certain point i just you know i i talked to dimitri and i was just like i really don't know how to growth hack i don't have that skill set and i'm not really that interested in learning it either um so i think if you want that (laughs) it's gonna have to come from somebody else (laughs) 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 So, uh, yeah, I simply don't, and that's another thing, like, that's a skill set that people might assume, like, oh, because of I write blogs and make videos, I know all about social media, you know, and Mm -hmm. how to keep up an audience, and I really don't, Um, so, you know, it's just like, I just go by, and I I guess my philosophy is I don't believe in, like, cheap views, you know, like, I know you can write a clickbait title to get people to show up, but I don't believe they'll keep showing up if you do that, Mm -hmm. and... Um, that's another thing. Like sometimes people really care about metrics. They want to see your audience taking off, you know, or like, yeah, I did have more views on my YouTube channel when I could release a video every single week, but I simply can't keep up that pace. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm really like absolutely dogmatically, like maybe I will do things sustainably and slowly. And mm-hmm. I do not want my metrics to spike. I want our organic real growth that I could sustain. And I will do that by continuing to release quality content at a schedule I mm-hmm. can manage. Um, so that's my philosophy, but it is, I mean, if you're a startup, yeah, you want big numbers sometimes and you wanna be able to show your investors big numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's a whole other side of it that other Devrels are probably more qualified to answer that than me. <laughs>
0: But you do make your videos uh, quite uh, entertaining and interesting. And one of the things I don't know you if you have this uh, rainbow-colored uh, owl. I
1: do have the owl. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> I always
1: have the owl with me. Yeah,
0: because it's that,
1: so great.
0: That that is maybe one of the growth hacks because this is like uh, one of the how is it a mascot or like He's our basic, mascot? Yeah. Yeah. So this is like. A, like every time I go to the DVC channel, I see this, uh, this little guy. Is it a guy yes. or a girl?
1: DV, yes. It, it really is. Um, I just love DV so much. I mean, actually, when I was a kid, I used to make a lot of videos that I would post on my social networks of just being silly. And <laughs> this feels like that. I just get to like goof off with this completely ridiculous Technicolor owl. You know, I just like, I wish I could be in the room when they decided like, we're going to sell this owl. I just love it. <laughs> so, and I want everybody to see this.
0: That, uh, that could be one of the grow hacks that you can share next time somebody asks you, like, okay, just bring the, the rainbow colored owl or something yeah. else, something that attracts people. Because this is like, uh, it's on every video, right? Was there yeah, any video is. without... Uh...
1: Oh, I'm completely committed to featuring DV in every video. I mean, okay, I also just fun. want people to know like this isn't that serious, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know. Like I, I used to go to a data visualization meetup group back when we could meet in person and it was held in a cupcake shop. It was this bright pink cupcake shop. And it was just the perfect kind of like, it's cool. We don't all have to have, like, we don't have to be like hackers, you know, we can just be people who are going to try this together. And so so I I like comedy that way.
0: We don't have a lot of time left. uh, So let me quickly check if we have questions. Yeah, we don't accept from uh, Angel who was saying that uh, he wasn't a troll. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah, so um, 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 I, um, so what I'm also interested about this, uh, that, uh, you mentioned that you're going to be teaching soon and uh, in your opinion how this is uh, these two things are related like being a devrel and being a good teacher like uh, does a devrel always need to be a good teacher
1: i think at some level yes but not in the same sense of being able to put together like a classroom lecture Uh, and of course you don't have to grade anybody but you you do have to spot like, where are people struggling to learn something? You know, what are what are the spots that I really need to help them on? And honestly being like, when I make YouTube videos, one of the coolest things about it was that like, I would get questions from students in other countries and they would write and be like, hi, I'm an undergrad doing this. Like, you know, what should I do? Um, and you end up kind of advising a lot of people. And that part is really sweet and really rewarding. Um, you know, it's it's cool. Um, and so that part I think is a lot like teaching. Um, of course, teaching comes with like a lot more, you know, you have to make a syllabus and you have to grade, you know, all that, and you have to create a curriculum. But I kind of wanted that, like, I wanted to make sure, like, I think everybody who does data science needs to know something about like the craft of it. Like, how do you manage developing your code and your data? know and i want to make sure that that's not just the thing that data scientists learn like after the fact on the job like i want to be intentional about like what's in the curriculum and if you pay for a data science masters what do you get like i want to control that you know and so that's kind of why i'm i'm going back into a university is because i want to help standardize this a bit um but Where was I going? Honestly, one of the things I was most worried about was losing the international audience because I feel like actually as a DevRel, you have students all over the world and it's all free, like it's all accessible for them. So one of the things I made sure of when I took the job was that I would maintain like continue to have copyright over all of my teaching Mm materials so that I could share them because I don't want to stop providing materials to students that happen to be outside of the university.
0: So you 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 plan to record the videos and put them online?
1: Definitely some. Um, I have found that that YouTube is is a really good channel, and I like it a lot. It also for me like I don't have the same kind of like I I find it less. There's less toxicity as a creator there, Um, Mm. and it's you know really fun interacting with people, and you know people wait for your videos, and you get regulars, and and that's really cool. Um, so I'm definitely planning on continuing to have YouTube videos. Like, you know, if people are asking a question in class a lot, I'll probably just make up a video explaining it, put out like a three minute video, you know, I, I, it's just a great reusable resource for people.
0: Yeah. That's, that's great to hear that you managed to convince the university to allow you to do that. And I'm personally looking forward to seeing those videos. And I think we need more of videos like that. Um, and especially we need, uh, I like get university, we need more lectures like that that prepare students for real life. Because uh, most of the time what happens, like you said, people just learn at work. But the university is supposed to prepare them for work, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I was in school for like 10 years and I still never had anybody really teach me how to use Git, even though like every lab wrote code, you mm-hmm. know, And yeah, it's, I think they realize now that there's a gap, but like, I mean, one of the worst things was that everybody, when I was doing my PhD, you'd hear people say constantly like, oh yeah, you'll be ready for industry. And then I got there and I just wasn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that story so many times. And uh, I was also the one who was uh, saying that story. Well, except except PhD, I was saying masters, but uh, this is pretty common uh, theme. Yeah, hey, thanks a lot for, for coming today and uh, share your experience with us. Do you have any last words? Where can mm-hmm. we find you?
1: So, last words. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, you know, we've got a YouTube channel um, which we can probably provide a link for. Um, and basically, I I hope that you know, I hope more people become DevRel's, especially people who have really different backgrounds because of I just tend to find that sometimes when you're an outsider from somewhere it gives you a really good perspective about what it's like to learn and that can make you one of the most effective teachers. And people who you know really understand how to tell stories, how to make great graphics great videos, you know, all of that like it's like getting to be like your own little video studio, you know it's, it's, it can be really creative and really rewarding. And that is why it can be worth, you know, all of the, all of the really difficult parts too. Um, so I hope that this has been helpful for you in figuring out if it might be something, or if you're a company that is looking to hire, I hope it's helped clarify, you know, some of the different parts of DevRel and how, you know, it's, it's actually got quite a few, maybe, you know, independent facets and, you know sometimes you'll find a unicorn who can do it all and sometimes you know sometimes it takes a takes a team
0: Yes thanks a lot for for being here today sharing your experience and uh, yeah thanks everyone else uh, for being here as well and uh, yeah let's see each other again next week and thanks Al Goodbye.